are. All right, everybody, back in your seats. Let's get started. The John Curley, Sherry Elliger Show. Oh, boy. News and entertainment. Let's do it. Diving in. A little, a little philosophical here. I've been sort of struggling with this. We sort of talked about it just briefly a couple days ago. I was talking about uh, Voltaire and the story he wrote called Candide. And one of the famous lines from that was, mind your own garden. And uh, the idea is that these three guys are coming across this farmer and said, did you hear about the person, that the, the, you know, the king or whatever, that got killed? And how about this person that got killed? And the farmer had no idea what he was talking about. And they said, well, don't you want to know? Don't, don't you want to be aware of what's happening? And the farmer said, no, I only need to worry about is, is the growing of the crops and taking care of my three daughters. And that is my life, right? Mind your own garden. This an interesting piece, a little something sent out on Instagram. Um, somebody sent it to me. I can't remember who it was, but I appreciate this. Um, my computer's not back up yet, Jacob. So play this, and we'll talk about it on the other side. Just the idea of um, all, to think of all the news, all of the news that you can get right there at your fingertips every single second of every single hour that you are awake. I do not think human beings are supposed to know about every catastrophe and crisis that goes on in the world. I think only God has the emotional capacity to handle knowing in real time how the world is falling apart. I think we we, we do, we have enough on our plate as it is just handling each other and handling ourselves. Not only to take in, oh, another shooting, oh, another bomb, oh, another plague, oh, another earthquake, oh, another wildfire. Like, we can't handle that. And I don't think, I genuinely don't think we were ever supposed to know how much crap was going on on a daily basis. Mm. Mm. I'd seen a uh, piece written a long time ago. This guy talked about when the telegram was invented. He said, this is not going to do anything for anybody. Why I, in sitting here in New York City, need to know about a train derailment somewhere in Texas. There's nothing I can do about it. The information doesn't do anything for me. All it does is take some of my time and all my time as I have, and that's the most valuable thing. So this guy was sort of pooping on the the uh, telegraph and then people did the same thing when the the idea of the printing press came out so bringing to and this might be we might be slicing our own throats here with the idea of like is it good that we get all of this news and what are we supposed to do with all this news and will we live a better life a healthier life if for some reason we were only confined to the news that was important to us rather than 24 hours a day bathing in it I don't know that we can turn it back now. I think that we've gotten to the point where not only are we inundated with news, we're numb to it. If it's a shooting that involves three people, it's a a story that makes the headlines for a day, half a day. So mm-hmm. it's it's one of those things where I think we've we've gotten so used to the influx of all of this bad news and all of this information that we're are, we're sort of shut down to it. it it affects us if it touches us in a way that we can relate to if it's something that we can understand in a in a, a visceral way i think it then starts to impact us the scary part is that after a while it ceases to impact you because it's so much Right. Well, so you've you've proven my point. Then you say you shut down to it. You, then obviously, 
the brain is responding to shutdown or the brain is responding to it's desensitizing itself or it's determining like we did when I was working in Washington, D.C., we weren't going to be covering any shootings that didn't have at least five dead people. Um, Neil Postman, who wrote a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death, this is from 1999, talking about the phenomenon, similar phenomenon of just too much. There are newspapers whose editors do not yet grasp that in a technological world, information is a problem, not a solution. They will tell us of things we already know about and will give little or no space to providing a sense of context or coherence. Let us suppose, for example, that a 14-year-old Palestinian boy hurls a Molotov cocktail at two 18-year-old Israeli soldiers in Jerusalem. The explosion knocks one of the soldiers down and damages his left eye. The other soldier, terrified, fires a shot at the Palestinian that kills him instantly. The injured soldier loses the sight of his eye. All of this we learn of on television or from radio. The next day we are told about it again in the newspaper. Why? The newspaper will add nothing unless it can tell something about the meaning of the event, including why this event is in the newspaper at all. There are at least 40 wars presently going on someplace in the world, and we can assume that young people are being killed in all of them. Why do I need to know about this event? Why is what happens in Jerusalem more important than what happens in Ghana? Will this event in Jerusalem have an effect on other events? Is this something that has happened many times before? Is it likely to happen again? Is someone to blame for what happened here? And in this context, what do we mean by blame? Now, a newspaper that does not answer these questions is useless. It is worse than useless. It contributes incoherence and confusion to minds that are already overloaded with information. That's 1999. And just think about it now, right, with the creation of the Internet and the amount of news that you can get. That is, we do want to know. People do want to know what's happening. It's a strange thing. I know when I arrive back into Seattle, I travel all the time, and I always come back. I always say the Uber driver. So, so what I miss is <laughs> kind of a weird thing. It's like, well, it was raining yesterday. Like, okay, all right, rain. All right, anything else? You kind of want to know what's going on. I guess that's a primitive thing of, of us. That's our, our monkey brain that wants to know, you know, where am I and am I going to be safe? Does the next, does a cut from the Newsweek editors work right here? Jacob, have I hit the first one? Uh, we can we, we can play it now or we can save it later. Yeah, th- that one's more okay. about, yeah, news, you know, consumption. Oh, how news, yeah. why, why people don't trust yeah, news yeah. as much. Yeah, you know what, Tom's last thing that he said to us, Sherry, other than aren't we going to order more food? They're at that French restaurant. <laughs> that was mine, too. <laughs> why do we have to share? <laughs> what, why are we sharing a trout? <laughs> it was odd. And I, I know that with the, when the restaurants were, you'd, like, you'd order small things and they would come out. Then they stopped coming out. And then uh, then I'm looking at the trout's head like, God, I just I have to eat that. All right. <laughs> Tom, after covering the news, reporting the news, and working at Cairo for God how many years, 30-some years or whatever, his last thing when he left was, well, that's it. I'm not going to read. 
Anything that I don't need to read, I'm going to read French novels. I'm going to read uh, Thomas Mann's Purple Mountain. I'm going to read what I want. I'm going to go to operas. I'm going to go to art. I'm going to see museums. I'm going to go to plays. But I'm not going to consume the news. He said he was going to just completely cut himself off for an entire year of no news at all. And we've we've done stories on people who have done this as well. They just don't read the newspaper. They just stop. Not to become a hermit, but they only care about the stuff that they care about. They mind their own garden. Tom, so dedicated to that commitment, didn't even come on this show. Right, Jacob? We called him. Didn't want to come on. <laughs> that's, that's so, true. It's like, wow, that guy's serious. I struggle with this every single day. I wake up at 530 in the morning, get a cup of coffee, take the dogs for a quick little walk, and I read and read and read and read and read. Of course, I'm a slow reader, but I'm reading. I take a break for an hour and then read and read and read. And then at night, before I go to bed, and I read another two hours. I'm constantly consuming the news constantly and i keep thinking to myself it's toxic and it's stressful and sometimes you hear it come out of in my voice on the air and i think there's got to be a balance to all of this but there is no balance and you have to just keep consuming it reacting to it and then giving your opinion on it and i'm not biting the hand that feeds me i appreciate the job but uh are we better off with the fact that we can know everything that's happening in the world with just a touch of the end of our fingers? I don't know that we're that we're better off. I I think we have uh, reached a point a point of saturation where it it can be it can be very toxic. It's difficult for you and I to have a real clear perspective on this because it's what we do for a living. And for us it's it's 10 times what it is for somebody else. I mean, somebody right. else. It's is the hazard passing. of the job, right? You're going yeah, down yeah. in the mine. Yeah. Okay. Got it. And, yeah. and you, yeah. and you are always scouring for, for what could be talkable. So, but the average person, I don't think, um, certainly doesn't have it to that degree, but they are, they are, if they have the, uh, a phone, they, then they get alerts. They are constantly reminded of breaking news of things that are happening all over the world. If they watch, mm-hmm. Any kind of cable news show, it is, you know, it is always out there. I don't think, though, that the average person delves into it to the point where it's conflicting with their regular life. I don't think that they're sitting around going, I can't go to work today because there was another bomb or Ukraine's falling apart. I think most people get on with their lives. It's background noise in their lives, and they've become very used to it. And they prioritize it based on what's relatable to them. If mm-hmm. it's about a school shooting and they have children, that relates to them. That makes them, that worries them. That gives them a, 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 a sense of vulnerability. If it's something in a far-flung place, they feel sorry for, certainly for people in Turkey and Syria, but it's far enough away that they can only have empathy for it to a certain degree because mm-hmm. they can't, they, they, they can't relate to being in that country. So I, I think we feel it much more keenly than than the average person does. And right. I also find myself, when I'm having conversations with people, sometimes I feel like I'm doing a radio show. Like I'll say, did you hear about the whatever? And I'll give all these details, right? And I'll right. tell the yeah. whole story about the so-and-so that did this and this and this and this. And they kind of look at me like, uh, it's a lot, you know. Okay, I don't. I didn't need to know everything. Um, did they yell out? Did they yell out? Hot take. <laughs> they said that guy didn't mean to go to, to, to oh, okay. Sydney, yeah, yeah, Montana. Um, 
But do you do that? Do you find that you you oh, over-explain most, or, yeah, over explain or over most annoying yeah. person? I'll give you one last thing. We're, we're probably not going to have time for the rest of these stories in here. But uh, President Biden talks about uh, the balloons. I'll tell you about that in a bit. Doesn't really affect your life at all. But, but Putman, who it was a Putman, is the guy that wrote the book. I think is the name. Um, he said, you know, in 1947, if you said to the American people, we can vote on this, here's this box that's going to project images and sound. And just want to let you know, before you vote, the average kid, before they start kindergarten, will have already watched 5,000 hours of it. And by the time the kid is 13 years old, they will have seen 695,000 commercials. And the average kid, by the time they are 12 years old, will have logged more than 75,000 hours in front of it. Do you want to vote on it? Do we want this? Do we want this in our house? Is everybody okay with that? It's the same thing you said, you know, in 1907, if you said, hey, there's this machine, it's going to be able, it's going to be able to transport you from here to here, but we're going to have 35,000 deaths a year. We're going to have increased smog. We're going to have traffic jams. We're going to have all of this stuff. Would you still want the car? You know, the hindsight being what it is, seeing what it is. And, and as because I think as, um, uh, Tocqueville said that American people, uh, hunger for new, always something new, always progressive, moving forward, getting something else, something new, something exciting. What is the next thing that gives us entertainment or comfort? Now, this guy, I don't even know if he's still alive, but he was, he, not a hermit, not a sort of a little Luddite-esque that he hated technology because he thought technology removed us from our humanity. He said the worst invention in the last 30 years has been call waiting. <laughs> he said he refuses to have it because it, yeah. it says to the person you're talking to when all of a sudden goes, Hey, I got to let you go that I've now prioritized. You've called me for a reason and your reason was important to you, but now I'm going to make the decision that your reason for calling me is not as important as this next person who's coming in behind you. I see that person's name and I'm going to prioritize them over you, even though you have called to communicate an idea, a feeling, an emotion, a story or something. I have to let you go because this other person is more important to me. Although Gen Z would say that is the greatest invention because it gives them an escape route so they don't have to continue a conversation. They're on not the even phone. using the phone anyway. Yes. Yeah. 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 I, I would love to be able to find out from Tom if he was able to hold his commitment to not watch, read news, not to consume news, and then how it made him feel. I, I listened, I've read that Candide piece. Uh, and you, you see, you think, okay, would I be, would you be better off if you just limited your knowledge to only the local paper that came out with, you know, the eight or nine pages, little local paper. We've got one here in Cleelum. I walk by it all the time. I don't ever pick it up, but I probably should because that would be just local news that could be relevant to me. So I think you would feel a void. I, I think that we have gone beyond that point. Unless you're so absorbed in whatever it is that you're doing, it is part of the fabric of our lives now to have this information coming at us at all times. And and I think we do a a, a reasonably good job of compartmentalizing it. Is it is it healthy? Probably not. Okay, but then don't I, then if it's not healthy, and you, if you have to make some sort of changes, like well, I got to compartmentalize it, or I've got to shut down, or I've got to do this or that. It's basically your brain telling you, you know, this. It's making choices for you um, by creating anxiety, sending you signals like stress and stuff like that.
So I, I, I remember I told you my dad used to always scream at the television on his last year of life. I'm sitting there watching him watch Chuck Schumer. I said, Dad, Dad, there's Chuck Schumer with the glasses on the end of his nose. Who cares? Who cares? I'd call him up with a thing. Dad, you see this? See that? See this? Who cares? Why don't you take a who cares attitude with that job of yours? I remember I tried it, Jacob, for like 10 minutes. <laughs> it's hard to sustain. Uh, it, you know, saying who cares doesn't fill a lot of airtime, I think, is the biggest problem. <laughs> <laughs> you have to have an opinion on everything, right? <laughs> yeah, here's my his story. Where Nikki Haley's running, who cares? <laughs> Tune into that show, everybody. Oh, my God. All right. Hopefully management wasn't listening to any of that. Yeah. <laughs> Three to seven. Who cares, show? <laughs> who cares? Thank you, show. I've gotten a chance to talk to you about Bucky's in a while. You know, they have been around for 52 years, and that's the place you take your car. They've got 16 locations. It's probably a Bucky's within stone's throw of your home. Don't throw it, especially if you still have a good arm. You'll break a window. But take your car to Bucky's, Bucky's Auto Service Centers. All right. My favorite soundbite, to steal this from Dory, the favorite soundbite of the day, comes from uh, Senator John Kennedy. Wouldn't it be kind of weird to find out that this accent was put on? But here he is talking to um, some climate experts. I think it's from today. Um you got these three guys sitting there. They're all advocating for, you know, more climate change, spend more money. And I like the way Kenny just sort of lays it out. Dr. Litterman, how much will it cost to make the United States of America carbon neutral by 2050? I don't know, sir. So you're advocating we do these things, but you don't know the ultimate cost? Yes, Absolutely. I, I certainly don't know the ultimate cost, and it's very uncertain. It depends Dr. on Hansen, it, it depends you know on it innovations. It depends on. I, I understand. I'm just trying to lay a foundation here to understand your expert testimony, Doctor Holtzikin. Do you know how much it will cost to make the United States of America carbon neutral by 2050? Depends how you do it. If we do it all in the federal budget with directed things, it'll be Public super and private expensive. Dollars. Sorry. Public and private dollars. It's all, it's ultimately private dollars anyway. Yeah, I agree. So right. how much? You're going to look at $50 trillion. $50 trillion. Yeah. Okay, thank you. If we make the United States of America carbon neutral by 2050 by spending $50 trillion, how much will that lower world temperatures? I can't ask that because we don't know what China and India and the rest of the globe has done. Okay. Have you had heard anybody from the Biden administration say how much it will lower world temperatures? No. Does anybody know how much it will lower world temperatures? No? No one can know for sure. Okay. Dr. Litterman. Yes. If we spend $50 trillion or however much it takes to make the United States carbon neutral by 2050, how much will it lower world temperatures? Senator, that depends on the rest of the world. We have to work with the rest of the world. We're in this together. Well, it's what one if, world. If, we can't what build if, a wall around if, the United what States if, and say... What if, what if we spend $50 trillion, Europe cooperates, most Western democracies cooperate, but India and China don't? 
How much will our $50 trillion lower world temperature? We're in this together, Senator. We how have to get the world to work together. How much? I, understand, I get that. Okay. How much will lower world temperatures? If China and India do not help. Yes. I don't know. Oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how naive, right? And I, later he asked other questions. Do you think it's in China's best interest? or India's best interest? The answer to both of those things are no. The Communist Party, 1.4 billion people, about 30% or more live in poverty. They don't want to live in poverty. They want to be an industrial nation, and they want to be able to compete, if not dominate, the world, China. India right behind them. So I sent you the statistics on how much um, carbon China pumps out every single day compared to the United States, right? So... Kennedy's right. Like we're going to spend fifty trillion. You're going to take fifty trillion dollars out of every single American's pocket, and you're going to put it towards reducing or taking us to carbon zero by 2050. And while we're doing that, China is just building more and more coal plants and producing more stuff that we buy from them. Right? You buy an Apple iPhone. I, I saw the number. I can't remember what it was. How much carbon is put out by China to produce the stuff like your Apple? or your uh, Nike or something like that. So they don't care, right? That country mm-hmm. doesn't care. Remember when the Olympics, the Summer Olympics were there, and they had to, I think they had to uh, postpone or maybe not run the marathon because the air quality was so bad? Mm-hmm. They're not doing it, and China's not going to do it, and any other developing nation is not going to all of a sudden get on board. By the way, everybody signed up for the Paris Accord. Uh, not one of them has hit any of their numbers. So th- these people are sitting there asking Congress to write a check for $50 trillion. And what will be the effect? Eh. Won't, won't bring down the temperature because our neighbors, oh, we all have to do this cooperatively. <laughs> that guy's nuts. How naive. How wonderful to live in his head to think that China and India will always say, oh, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Even though we still have 30% or 40% of our people living in poverty, you're right. We're going to reduce our capacity. We're going to cut down on this. We're going to tax people more to try to lower the, the world temperature. Well, China did commit to achieving uh, being carbon neutral by 2060. This is in the Paris uh, Climate Agreement. Yeah. But a couple of the facts from the article you sent me, China emitted more carbon dioxide than any other country in 2019, double that of the U.S. 80% of China's total energy comes from conventional energy. And in 2020, China's coal fleet grew by 30 gigawatts while global, Mm -hmm. global capacity fell. So the Chinese government finance and direct investment have provided $52 billion for coal projects and have supported more than 74 megawatts of new coal power plants mm-hmm. globally. Right. So if it's if they can't even really identify what being carbon neutral, if if we're the ones doing it and they're the ones not doing it, what the impact will be or what the what the gain will be, one has to beg the question: Why are what's the investment for? China loves that we're doing this. They, they're basically sitting there saying, okay, you want to hamstring yourself. You'd like to reduce your output. You want to tax and you want to reduce your ability and your GDP as you spend 50 trillion. I don't know where you'll get it from. Good. Go ahead. 
That'll make you even weaker than you already are now. And it'll make it that much easier for us to continue to do what we're trying to do, which is take over the world. So they would encourage you, the United States, to spend the money to have the United States government pick and choose the winners as to which way you're going to go, and they will determine um, the direction. You'll put somebody like Jay Inslee in charge of something like this. Write a check for $50 trillion, Don't know what the outcome is going to be. Don't know what the results will be. If I spend $50 trillion, will it bring down the cost? Will it bring down the temperatures? Uh, we don't know. And Kennedy simply ran out of five minutes and handed it off to somebody else. But I thought that's a... That's a nice little example of somebody asking some very simple questions of the quote-unquote experts um, as to what direction we should be going. Yeah. Thanks, Kennedy. Yeah, I wonder how much of this isn't questioned because people don't fully understand it. Well, it's a religion, Sherry, for a lot of these people. It's blind faith. You, you listen to listen to Inslee. By the way, the gas tax that now, remember they said it wouldn't go up any more than eight cents. Todd Myers yes. continues to follow it. It's at 25 or 27 cents. So continues to climb with the change that we're making here. Aren't we As all breathing predicted. better? Yeah, aren't we all breathing better air because uh, China's making your sh- phones and your sneakers for you? Writing to us is good and good for you. Nine out of ten dentists recommended. I just at mynorthwest.com or come on into that state briefing text line at one triple eight nine seven three five four. It's getting worse, Sherry. Seven six. All right. Um, I didn't know Barney was gone, but apparently Barney left for a little while. But Barney's back again. That big lovable dinosaur. I love you. You love me. Um, don't remember the rest of the song, but um, they're they're relaunching him. And it's Jacob, who probably watched Barney when he was a kid. No, no, his parents probably didn't let him watch TV, but maybe Andrew did. Uh, Barney the Dinosaur is getting rebooted uh, with an excruciating twist. This, according to the people over there, BJ Media. How do they twist Barney excruciatingly? Well, they're making some changes. Remember, Barney used to be this um, big kind of stuffed animal, right? And he'd talk about, I love you, we love you, or whatever he did. And he hugged kids, Mm -hmm. and he'd walk around. He had a a guy's voice. Well, now Barney's animated, and he's gotten a little bit of a makeover. He looks basically the same. He's still purple. Um, But what Mattel says, Mattel Television's Fred Suley said this, In creating the new series, it was important to us that we properly reflect the world that kids today live in so that the series can deliver meaningful lessons about navigating it. Oh, okay. And the world the kids live in? What big topics is Barney going to tackle that a five-year-old needs to know about, I wonder? Well, and they did say that the animated character is going to be mostly dealing with a range of consumer products Aimed at the under six set. Okay. So, so well, there you go. Uh, yeah. So they're going to be, um, you know, dealing with whatever I guess six and under kids are dealing with, and what ha- they have to quote unquote navigate in the world. So I'm not sure if that means if their sippy cup is clean or no. if. Um, you know, the, the the truck that they rammed under the bed can get retrieved. I, I'm not mm-hmm. sure what those things are. But okay. 
According to PJ Media, the guy that wrote this article, he suspects that this is just code for it being a very new and woke Barney. Yeah, well, most people don't go for that woke stuff, so I don't know how to do, but they'll have a small, uh, attentive audience. I still have a nightmare. I think I told the story at the time. This co-host that I had in Washington, D.C. had this crazy guy that was asking her out, but apparently I was somehow blocking the signals that he was sending through the television set to her. So we came to the live studio that we were shooting in Washington, D.C., WSA, uh, to propose to her. He bought an engagement ring, and he decided that it was important for him to be in a tuxedo. Oh, and by the way, a homemade paper mache Barney head. Remember to ever tell you that story? No, no, I've not yeah. heard that story. So the show ends, the show ends, and of course the whole show, the whole hour-long show, I kept making fun of the guy because he was in the audience sitting there with this giant purple head that he'd made with the chicken wire and the paper mache, and the director kept spinning around getting cuts of the guy. And then when the show ended, they said, okay, everybody, thanks for coming, and all the people left, but he stayed there sitting in the seat up in the top row, and then uh, my co-host turned to me and said, I think that's the guy. And then security ran over and grabbed him. He refused to get up. So then my co-host yelled, I want to see his face because then we could see who he is and we could stop him from coming back in the building again. And with that, the two gigantic security guards uh, tore asunder his paper mache Barney head, tearing off big chunks of it at a time while the guy held onto his head, screaming, no, 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 no. I love you. I love you. I love you. Was it him? It was actually Barney under the paper mache head. That's why you say no. No, it was. It was him. It was him. Oh. Who else would it be, Sherry? Well, I don't know. I Even thought that he had be... engagement. He had an engagement ring, and he, they, he no, I, I wanted to marry you. Oh no, no. I, I thought it would be a better end of the story if they made a mistake. It was like it was, it was a different guy else. entirely. Yeah, it was like yet another guy that wanted to marry that woman. <laughs> Exactly. That was it. Last time I saw Barney, he was having his head torn off. Well, you know, it can happen. These dinosaurs, sometimes they push it. Yeah, they, they, they fall in love with Big darn it, Big Barney. All right. By the way, the ring was so tiny. But everything looked tiny next to his giant paper mache head. <laughs> meow. Okay. Like, oh, oh, really? Like, like, like she would have given him a, a like a, a a thought if it was, you know, that you know, he wasn't bad. I didn't care about the head so much. Whatever the the ring, ew. Hot take. <laughs>